Chapter twenty eight of A Soldier's Letters to Charming Nelly. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Asterix. A Soldier's Letters to Charming Nelly by J. B. Polly. Chapter twenty eight. Fourth Texas at Gaines Mill. Marlin, Texas, June the 27th, 1903. The following paper by General J.B. Polly was read this afternoon. No braver soldiers fought in the war between the states than the Virginia Confederates. Their survivors are good fellows, none better. The perfection of human nature, though, has not yet been attained by them for some of these good fellows have betrayed an undue greed for military laurels not satisfied with hailing from a state distinguished as the birthplace of washington jefferson stonewall jackson and that grandest of all the grand robert e lee not content with the glory won at gettysburg by virginians in a charge whose equal in soldierly daring and heroic endeavour the world has never witnessed these yet hungry ones made the startling discovery thirty-six years after the event that to pickett's brigade belonged the honour of being the first confederate command to break the union lines at gaines mill on the twenty-seventh day of june eighteen sixty two a tardy but clamorous champion of that renowned brigade adjutant cooper entered the controversial lists in the october number eighteen ninety eight of the confederate veteran in succeeding issues of that admirable publication the contention waxed warm comrades vidor shat and todd of the first texas other confederates and one or more federals who participated in the engagement and believed they knew who struck billy patterson the first crushing blow came generously and gallantly to the aid of the fourth texas regiment of hood's texas brigade laying on most doughtily not only with quotations from the official reports of distinguished confederate generals but as well with their own personal recollections of the events of that memorable day forty-one years ago although prompt to take notice of the controversy and not unwilling to fight the battle over on paper i did not get ready to do any firing until the incident seemed in diplomatic parlance to be closed it should remain closed but for the fact that many persons have read only the virginia side of the case and are so constituted as to accept loudness of assertion as convincing evidence of statements not specifically denied and disproved such people are so plentiful that each member of the fourth texas may well exclaim i see my reputation at stake my fame is shrewdly gored for if adjutant cooper and his corporal's guard of followers are in the right if pickett's brigade and not the fourth texas was first to break the federal lines at gaines mill and convert what was almost a disastrous defeat of the confederate army into a glorious victory the concurrent contemporaneous statements of lee jackson hood and whiting 
each of whom gave the credit to the fourth texas are untrue and the stories which members of the texas brigade have told their sweethearts wives and children are figments of the imagination baseless dreams memories unsupported by any foundation of fact if pickett's brigade is entitled to the honor the fourth texas never was and its survivors and those of its companion texas regiments should bend their mighty minds immediately to the reconstruction of the long and lovingly cherished legend that as between the three regiments honors are easy since although the hell-roaring fourth was the first confederate regiment to break the union lines at gaines mill the bloody fifth routed and practically annihilated the zouaves at second manassas and the ragged first held the cornfield at sharpsburg against hancock's whole corps losing in that heroic achievement more heavily than any other regiment confederate or federal did at any one battle during the four years of war texans might safely rely upon the statute of limitations to bar the claim of pickett's brigade however little they are inclined to want the earth and the fullness thereof it is unreasonable to suppose virginians would wait thirty-six years to present a just claim if they ever had a shadow of right on their side it is charitable to presume they would have sought to establish their pretensions while it was possible to amend official reports instead of doing that they remained silent so silent indeed that until adjutant cooper raised his voice not even well-informed confederates of his own state dreamed of the existence of such pretensions at any rate when in eighteen ninety six mr corbin warwick and colonel maury of richmond virginia kindly accompanied me to the battlefield of gaines mill neither of them mentioned it both had been confederate soldiers and had participated in the seven days fighting colonel maury having commanded a virginia regiment and mr warwick being the brother of lieutenant colonel warwick of the fourth texas who was mortally wounded on the field notwithstanding we discussed the battle and old soldier-like i boasted time and again that the fourth texas was the first command to break the union lines there not a word did they say about pickett's brigade except perhaps to mention that it fought half a mile to the right of the texans in the agitation of mind produced by a long delayed and startling presumed discovery adjutant cooper and his party have overlooked the topography of the ground and the situation as it was on the day of the battle the federal line of entrenchments along the south side of powhite creek was several miles in length the watts house behind and to the left of which the artillery captured by the fourth texas was posted stood about the middle of the line and the federals had artillery not only behind the watts house but also at other points and each battery or section of artillery was likely supported by cavalry in truth and fact the federals employed enough artillery and cavalry that day for both pickett's brigade and the fourth texas to have captured cannon and repulsed mounted enemies to this abundance as well as to the passage of time and a natural if not altogether excusable forgetfulness of details is largely due no doubt this controversy between confederate commands 
the survivors of hood's texas brigade cannot in justice to themselves and their posterity afford to ignore the claim made by the virginians and by silence acquiesce in its justice the past and whatever of honor it gave the lone star should be held by secure and unimpeachable title not a breath of suspicion or boast tarnishing its lustre to remove the last lingering shadow of that cast by adjutant cooper and his party is the purpose of this paper the following facts all of them undisputed i think should be borne in mind the final and successful attack upon the enemy's works at gaines mill began at seven o'clock p m the sun set that day in the latitude of virginia at seven thirty in the assault the confederates moved to the southeast the federals faced to the northwest and powhite creek ran between the two armies a triple line of breastworks each occupied by federal infantry skirting the southeastern bank of that stream having as already stated revisited the battlefield at a time when it presented a strictly peaceful aspect when the only music to be heard was the lowing of cattle and the songs of birds and when no death-dealing missiles hurtled through the air to the disturbance of one's composure i can speak with approximate accuracy concerning the distances between salient points from the crest of the ridge immediately north of powhite creek it is barely a quarter of a mile to the watts house from the watts house to the artillery it is about three-eighths of a mile most of the statements made by the virginia writers concerning the movements of pickett's brigade on the day in question may be accepted as absolutely correct at present let us follow the fourth texas all day long porter's brave men had held the confederates at bay at gaines mill to break their lines here meant overwhelming disaster to the union arms glorious victory to the confederate general w c whiting who commanded the division composed of his own and the texas brigade approached hood and said to that gallant officer pointing in the direction of the guns in rear of the watts house general those guns over there ought to be silenced but i have tried to do it and failed i have a regiment that can do it replied hood try it then ordered whiting and immediately hood took personal command of the fourth texas and led it forward halting in a stretch of low ground a hundred yards short of the crest of the ridge long enough to form line of battle the fourth texas without further delay advanced to the crest passing over just before reaching it a long line of prostrate confederates who had sought shelter from the infantry fire of the federals in a kind of swag extending along the north side of the ridge at the crest the regiment came within sight and range of the federal infantry occupying the triple line of breastworks beyond the creek these breastworks by the way so constructed along the hillside that one line fired over the heads of another reckless though of the storm of bullets which decimated its ranks the fourth texas neither wavered hesitated nor halted but fixing bayonets at the command of the gallant hood rushed down the slope of the ridge into and across the little stream at its foot through timbered bottom and chevaux de frise and at the enemy in the first line of entrenchments dismayed apparently by the impetuosity and vigour of the attack upon them 
these stood not upon the order of their going but fled at top speed carrying the two lines of soldiery in their rear with them following fast and furiously loading and shooting as they went the texans pushed on directly up the slope of the ridge on that side of the stream and never came to an instant's halt in the resolute and rapid advance until the last armed federal infantryman in their immediate front was either killed captured or driven out of sight in the lowlands of the chickahominy valley the pursuit carried the texans a hundred yards or so beyond the watts house the left of the regiment in its advance almost brushing the walls of that historic building they halted for the first time on the eastern edge of a peach and pear orchard where they reformed their line facing now diagonally to the left in such a manner as to front the fourteen pieces of artillery stationed in rear of the watts house which were then hurling round shot and shell grape canister and shrapnel by the wholesale at the daring band the halt therefore was not a long one in the face of such a fire even the bravest desire to move quickly the line reformed and not five minutes was consumed in the effort hood ordered the charge and at the word and by common impulse the texans swept forward and captured the guns in their charge upon them descending a slope which led into a deep ravine and after struggling across the ravine climbing a steep ascent to the top of the elevation on which the guns were posted quite a while after they seized the guns they were attacked by a squadron of cavalry one of its companies being that in which hood had served as a second lieutenant in texas previous to the beginning of hostilities between north and south its captain Shambliss, i think his name was was severely wounded and general hood hunted him up and saw that he received surgical attention placed hors de combat at a point west of the watts house the writer failed to reach the peach and pear orchard yet although worse frightened than hurt and possessed of a yearning longing for the peace and safety of the rear he distinctly remembers seeing the fourth texas in line at the edge of the orchard general hood standing a few paces in its rear holding aloft in his right hand a sword whose bright blade reflected the level beams of a sun still above the horizon he recalls with the same distinctness that when austin jones and himself mr jones had also been wounded faced northwest on their way to the rear the sun shone in their faces these recollections are sustained by the testimony of the majority of his regimental comrades with whom he has had an opportunity of talking on the subject those who remember anything about the sun declare emphatically that it yet shone above the horizon when the fourth texas reformed for the culminating desperate charge upon the artillery and that it was yet shining when the guns were seized and silenced add to such statements that of general stephen d lee in the letter which follows and the proof appears positive that the texans had possession of the guns at sunset every presumption and probability favors the contention the general advance of the confederates began according to the official reports at seven o'clock in the evening it is a fair presumption that having been selected as a forlorn hope to silence those terrible guns the texans were given a slight precedence in point of time 
other commands to its right and left must naturally have waited a little while to see what the fourth texas accomplished at quite a leisurely gait men can cover five-eighths of a mile eleven hundred yards in a half hour the emergencies of the occasion though not only invited but imperatively demanded rapidity of movement hood was as ambitious as he was brave and daring the stars of a major generalship hung in the near perspective like henry of the wyand in the combat between the clans chatton and Curheel, he fought for his own hand not a texan there whether by birth or adoption but shared his spirit and resolved to maintain the reputation for bravery won for the lone star by the heroes who at the alamo fought and died that their compatriots might at san jacinto fight and win therefore they moved rapidly so rapidly indeed that ere the sun set they had accomplished the undertaking they had set out to perform and had silenced and taken possession of the artillery in the rear of the watts house where was pickett's brigade all this while when did it begin its advance and when did it drive the enemy from the breastworks in its front according to general longstreet it occupied a position in the confederate line to the right of that occupied by anderson's brigade that position placed its left flank at least half a mile to the right of the fourth texas the virginia writers do not state at what time it began the advance but they do fix the time at which it made the assault upon the breastworks it was after sunset adjutant cooper says in the october eighteen ninety eight veteran the sun shone brightly and the atmosphere was clear and every move that lee's troops made could be plainly seen by the enemy Pryor's line advanced to the attack and in a short time was almost annihilated pickett with his five regiments went in on a double quick and being hid by the smoke of the battle approached to within thirty or forty yards of the first line of entrenchment where in the intense heat and the dense smoke they involuntarily threw themselves flat upon the ground and commenced firing the roar of musketry was so terrific that it was impossible to hear anything else the men knew however that heavy work was intended as each man had his eighty rounds of ammunition this continuous firing was kept up neither side knowing the proximity of the other on account of the smoke finally the firing of the enemy somewhat slackened and the sun set as it were in blood with neither side having gained any advantage at the slight lull in the enemy's fire general pickett ordered a charge to which his brigade responded promptly such explicitness of detail is commendable from it we learn that after pryor's brigade was almost annihilated and while the sun shone brightly pickett's brigade went in on a double quick and hid most fortunately by the smoke of battle approached within thirty or forty yards of the enemy and involuntarily threw themselves flat upon the ground and that they remained thus flatly recumbent until the sun set as it were in blood add to these facts the significant circumstance mentioned 
that each man carried a double supply or eighty rounds of ammunition and the inference in the absence of positive denial by an officer presumed to know the truth is as plain as irresistible that general pickett's object was not to carry the works in his front but simply to pour such a continuous and heavy fire upon the federals there as might prevent them from reinforcing other points of their line troops ordered to assault and capture a strong position do not ordinarily carry an extra supply of ammunition but be that as it may the fact stands out in bold relief that not until after sunset did pickett's brigade carry the fortifications in its front that true and it also true that the fourth texas carried the works in its front before sunset and stood in line of battle in the peach and pear orchard while the sun was still shining how was it even possible for the virginia command to precede the texans in the capture of the guns in rear and to the left of the watts house to say that the texans waited for the virginians that they stood passive inactive until after sunset under such a fire as fourteen well-handled guns could pour upon them from an elevation not seven hundred yards distant is an absurdity to say that the virginians late as they started overtook and actually passed the texans is nonsense to do that pickett's brigade must have been endowed with racehorse speed and have wheeled to the left and passed squarely across the front commanded by anderson's south carolinians that gallant command though has never complained that its advance was retarded by such a manoeuvre nor although it was just to the right of the fourth texas and for that reason might with greater plausibility than pickett's brigade claim at least to have aided in the capture of the guns it has never done so in the writer's knowledge if as claimed and believed the guns were captured by the texans before sunset their capture from the federals by pickett's brigade was an impossibility that command was not ubiquitous it could not have engaged in the capture of artillery while it lay recumbent a good long mile away and waited for the enemy's fire to slacken time is an important consideration in military movements minutes and even seconds count when a battle is on the official reports and the testimony of the living support the contention that the confederate advance began at seven o'clock p m almanacs will show that in the latitude of virginia the sun set on the twenty seventh day of june eighteen sixty two at seven thirty p m the texans made no halt whatever before penetrating the federal lines the virginians did halt within thirty or forty yards of those lines and not only halted but threw themselves involuntarily flat upon the ground and waited for the firing in the front to slacken that this did not take place until the texans had broken through the lines in their own front and gained the crest of the ridge south of powhite creek is evident from the circumstance that when they got that far and glanced back to their right and left rears they saw the federals in those directions just beginning to retreat whether those to our right were moved by the expenditure of the eighty rounds of ammunition the virginians had supplied themselves with or seeing that the texans had broken the lines made a change of base from motives of expediency is an open question 
Those in our left rear delayed their retreat simply because, owing to the nature of the ground over which the 18th Georgia, Hampton's Legion, and the 1st and 5th Texas struggled, it was impossible for those commands to keep abreast of the 4th Texas. While disclaiming the least desire to rob Pickett's division of a single one of its justly won laurels, let me condole with it in its misfortunes the chief of which in my humble opinion is such a reckless eulogist as adjutant cooper one who rushes into print thirty-six years after an event should have better foundations for his assertions concerning it than his own memory company and regimental officers and the privates they command see little of a battle except that immediately before them general officers have opportunity for more extended observation stonewall jackson w h c whiting and john b hood wrote history in their official reports and elsewhere as accurately as it was made by the troops they commanded stonewall jackson wrote in this charge in which upward of a thousand men fell killed and wounded before the fire of the enemy and in which fourteen pieces of artillery and nearly a regiment were captured the fourth texas under the lead of general hood was the first to pierce these strongholds and seize the guns general whiting wrote the battle was very severe hotly contested and gallantly won i take pleasure in calling special attention to the fourth texas regiment which led by brigadier general hood was the first to break the enemy's lines and enter his works general hood after stating that he took command of the fourth texas and led it in the charge says at quickened pace we continued to advance without firing a shot down the slope over a body of our soldiers lying on the ground to and across powhite creek when amid the fearful roar of musketry and artillery i gave the order to fix bayonets and charge with a ringing shout we dashed up the steep hill through the abatis and over the breastworks upon the very heels of the enemy the federals panic-stricken rushed precipitately to the rear upon the infantry in support of the artillery suddenly the whole joined in flight toward the valley beyond i halted in an orchard beyond the works and dispatched every officer of my staff to the main portion of the brigade in the wood to the left instructing them to bear the glad tidings that the fourth texas had pierced the enemy's lines and to deliver orders to push forward with the utmost haste meanwhile the long line of blue to the right and left wavered and finally gave way as the eighteenth georgia first and fifth texas and hampton's legion gallantly moved forward from right to left thus compelling a grand left wheel of the brigade into the very heart of the enemy simultaneously with this movement burst forth a tremendous shout of victory which was taken up along the whole confederate line i rode forward and found the fourth texas and eighteenth georgia had captured fourteen pieces of artillery while the fifth texas had charge of a federal regiment which had surrendered to it i have not access to the official report of generals lee and longstreet but as the latter in eighteen sixty six complained that lee had overlooked his report of the battle of gaines mill and been guided by that of jackson it is safe to presume that lee was so guided for other obvious reasons it is equally safe to assert that in writing 
the memoirs of robert e lee the author general a i long lee's military secretary was guided by lee's report when he wrote the day was now drawing to a close and lee decided to end the conflict by a charge of the whole line the word charge as it passed along the line was responded to by a wild shout and an irresistible rush on the federal position the texas brigade led by the gallant hood was the first to penetrate the federal works president davis in his book rise and fall of the confederacy says of the battle the dead and wounded marked the line of their intrepid advance the brave texans leading closely followed by their no less daring comrades general stephen d lee has written as follows columbus mississippi may twenty seventh eighteen ninety nine general j b polly my dear comrade i have your letter of may twenty second with reference to hood's texas brigade breaking the federal lines at gaines mill june the twenty seventh eighteen sixty two in reply will state your recollection of the conversation at houston texas is in the main correct excepting as to my being with general lee i will state the facts as i recall them it is the first time i have ever heard that any command other than hood's texans broke the federal lines about sundown at gaines mill nor do i believe that any such claim can for a moment be sustained on the afternoon of the day the lines were broken i was across the chickahominy on what was known as the nine mile road out of richmond and had some guns at the garnet house overlooking the field on the other side of the creek and the great battle in progress distant some two and a half miles or thereabouts just before sundown i was on the top of the house with my glass and president davis not general lee was in the yard a most anxious observer and asking questions as i reported progress general d r jones also came up about that time on the housetop i reported our lines advancing and carrying the federal lines general jones took my glasses and in an instant in a joyous voice reported yes our troops have driven the yankees and they are flying in great disorder towards the chickahominy the president was delighted and overjoyed soon after and before he left messengers came across the river and said hood's texans had swept everything before them piercing the lines and driving the enemy before them in the greatest disorder of course i could not distinguish at the distance what troops did the work but the messengers said the texans had done it i heard nothing else to the contrary till your letter was received i feel sure the official reports will sustain the fact that the honor belongs to the texans i have always so stated it myself as i did to your texas brigade at houston i have not the time now but if you will examine the reports the matter can be cleared up without the shadow of a doubt in my opinion if i can further aid you it will give me pleasure my post office address is columbus mississippi yours truly s d lee judge john h reagan the sole surviving member of the confederate cabinet has written as follows austin texas june the sixth eighteen ninety nine general j b polly floresville 
Texas. Dear General, I am in receipt of your letter of the third instant, in which you call my attention to the claim which has been made that to Pickett's Brigade of Virginians, and not to the 4th Regiment of Hood's Texas Brigade, belonged the credit of being the first Confederate soldiers to break the enemy's lines at Gaines Mill on the evening of June the 27th, 1862. As I was not on the field of battle, I can only speak from hearsay and the current understanding at that time, and since, and from having more than once, soon after that battle, gone over the battlefield with officers who were in the battle. My information and understanding was then, and has been at all times since, that General Lee had ordered our troops forward once or oftener, and that they had fallen back under the fire of the enemy and that when Hood's brigade came up they moved forward, and that the 4th Texas Regiment went through the Abatee on the creek, and drove the enemy from their partially fortified lines on the steep hillside, and drove the enemy's artillery from the crown of the hill, passing on to a depression in the field beyond, where a Federal cavalry brigade charged them and was repulsed. And going a little farther on, they captured a battery of artillery, in the meantime, the 5th Regiment of Texans, Hood's Brigade, commanded by Colonel J.B. Robertson, broke through the Federal lines to the left of where they were broken by the 4th Texas, and that together they returned to find the Federal lines closed behind them by a New Jersey Regiment, which they made prisoners. I have always understood that the 4th Texas Regiment of Hood's Brigade was the first to break through the enemy's lines at Gaines Mill, and I think the charge of that regiment on that occasion one of the most remarkable in the history of wars. Taking into consideration the strength of the enemy's position, the abatis to be passed through, the three lines of infantry to be driven from their partially fortified lines, protected by artillery which crowned the hill beyond them, going into the battle with about 800 men and coming out of it with less than 250, its colonel killed, its major mortally wounded, and its lieutenant colonel badly wounded in the early part of the engagement. Yours respectfully, John H. Reagan. General Longstreet, Lee's old war-horse, tried and true, and in the writer's judgment more sinned against than sinning, has been persona non grata to Virginians, since he dared to doubt the infallibility of a chief not less mortal than himself. As, however, he offered a crumb of comfort to them in a letter addressed to me in 1899, which I have mislaid, I quote it from memory. I wrote to him asking what command first broke the lines at Gaines Mill. He replied with a brevity that was non-committal. The victory at Gaines Mill was won by the combined efforts of the Texas, Anderson's, and Pickett's Brigade. That was all he wrote. Against it, read the following from Volume 3 of Confederate Military History, beginning on page 290, prepared by Major Jed Hotchkiss, a Virginian himself, and, therefore, not likely to fail in giving a Virginia command its every due. The forests and the conditions of the country occupied by Lee's lines prevented the use of much artillery in this battle of Gaines Mill, but braver, daring, and more heroic endeavor was never made by patriotic soldiers than on that day all along the lines, especially by Hill's North Carolinians and Virginians, Lawton's Georgians, 
and memorably by hood's texans who stormed the heights of turkey and mcgahee hills sweeping across fences and ditches through fallen timber and abattis and over entrenchments which blazed with sheeted fire from infantry and artillery from the entire federal front leaving well-nigh half of their comrades dead or wounded on the way and rolling back in a sullen tide of defeat both the regulars and the volunteers of porter's corps and becoming masters of the heights they had so bravely stormed as it ever did jackson's stonewall brigade pushed into the thickest of the fight across the path of ewell and bore its full share in winning this glorious victory comment is almost superfluous major hotchkiss is too just a man not to say too loyal a virginian to suffer himself influenced while writing history by any bias or prejudice had pickett's virginians taken any notable or conspicuous part in that grand final charge of the day the fact that it belonged to longstreet's division would not have prevented the major from giving it its proper meed of praise but he not only does not mention it but emphasizes that omission by special mention of the virginians under hill and jackson who fought to the left of the texans and why should he say memorably hood's texans if they did not in some way distinguish themselves when he was writing the lines quoted it is not likely he was engaged in showering bouquets around indiscriminately and without regard to merit holding adjutant cooper as the accredited representative and spokesman of pickett's brigade his gallantry and efficiency as a soldier his merits as a gentleman sans peur et sans reproche having been vouched for by his old commander now alas gone to join the great majority i have not deemed it necessary to notice statements made by others in behalf of that command each of the other writers patted the adjutant on the shoulder and encouraged him in his heroic but audacious effort to cast discredit on the statements of lee and jackson and to reverse the long-rendered verdict of history that the fourth texas was the first confederate command to break the enemy's lines at gaines mill no other command brigade or regiment aided in that the eighteenth georgia overcoming the difficulties in its path only in time to assist the fourth in the capture of the fourteen guns possibly one or two more companies of the right wing of the eighteenth went through the line abreast of the fourth the ground in their front being also quite open doubtless too there was a sprinkling of alabamians mississippians north and south carolinians and even tennesseans moving along with the texans if so they were adventurous spirits who surmising that hood would give the regiment of which he had once been the colonel the first opportunity to win distinction straggled to the front but if any of pickett's brigade went forward with the fourth texas or got with it in time to assist in the capture of the guns they came from the line of recumbents over which the fourth passed before attaining the crest of the ridge and getting under fire what troops these were was then and has ever since been a profound mystery general whiting said of them that he didn't know who they were and didn't want to know some of them claimed to be virginians and considering only adjutant cooper's admission that his brigade sought safety on the very bosom of mother earth 
previous to making an assault upon the breastworks this might appear plausible not so though when it is remembered that the adjutant carries his command within thirty or forty yards of the works before the involuntary prostration began these troops were fully two hundred yards from the works besides pickett's brigade fought half a mile to the right of the fourth texas no special mention is made of hampton's legion and the first and fifth texas comrade regiments of the fourth texas in the brigade it would be in bad taste to apologize for the omission since neither will feel aggrieved given the same opportunity either would have done as well as the fourth texas denied it not one of them begrudges or ever has begrudged to the fourth the honors it so gallantly and fairly won their advance was across heavily timbered and marshy ground and it was therefore impossible for them to keep abreast of the fourth texas besides it is not likely they began their advance quite as early as that regiment for it took time to communicate orders in the dense undergrowth of swampy virginia woodlands especially in the month of june when every tree and shrub was in full foliage end of chapter twenty eight end of a soldier's letters to charming nelly by j b polly